0: Dear Heavenly Father, we ask yet again that your Holy Spirit will be here in our midst. Tonight we have a relatively heavy topic, but we know that uh, you will be here because we've asked you to be here, and we pray that it will be plain, that we will understand it, and we pray that your Holy Spirit will convict our hearts of the truth. And uh, so, Lord, we just place this in your hands. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So last night we talked about the Sabbath also can be a a rather heavy topic for some that have not uh, looked at that before, but it begs the question, how did everybody end up going to church on Sunday, Sunday, right? That's a fair question that I think we need to ask, and so we're going to delve into that tonight, okay? And that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to start again in our theme book, Book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, Now, we've seen this already. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. I would say the devil is a professional at deceiving. He loves to deceive. He's good at deception, and he's very patient with his deception at times as well. You ever heard of smart crime? That's where they bait you for a a period of time. It's not just a quick pickpocket and they're on their way. No, they're baiting you for weeks, sometimes even months for a big sting operation. And then when they come in, they're left totally perplexed and and wondering how on earth did this happen? Isn't it logical that Satan, the great deceiver, would attack God's law? Don't you think if that's the heart and soul of who God is, if that was so precious, it was in the sanctuary, in the Ark of the Covenant, right below kind of the foundation of God's character and who he is, wouldn't you think that the devil wouldn't leave that alone? You can be sure he would attack the law of God. And we looked at that a couple nights ago, how he has attacked and how many people just disregard God's law completely. God's law defines right and wrong. And that's what we talked about the other night. But in the heart of God's law... Right here, the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. For the seventh day is the Sabbath, the Lord thy God. And on and on it goes. <clears throat> Isn't it logical that Satan, the great deceiver, would attack the creator by challenging the symbol of creation? And Wednesday night, we looked at how the Sabbath is a symbol, is a sign of God's creative authority, Right? We also talked a little bit about Darwin. We talked about evolution. We talked about all these things that, that push away this idea that there's a creator God. Is the devil not attacking that with everything he's got? Is he being successful? Who changed the Bible Sabbath? Wednesday, thank you. <coughs> Last meeting. We saw that God didn't change it. Malachi 3.6 says, for I am the Lord, I do not Changed. You can read. That's good. Exodus twenty eight through ten. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Right? Ezekiel twenty verse twelve. I also gave them my Sabbath to be a what? A sign between them and me. So here. The Sabbath is God's seal of the fact that he, and a sign that he is the creator God. The Sabbath is a sign between God and his people. So we're still in review here. Jesus kept the Sabbath. We saw that on Wednesday night. The apostles kept the Sabbath. We saw that as well Wednesday night. The Lord has a day that's referred to in Revelation 1 verse 10. And we looked how very plainly scripture tells us that the Lord's day is the Sabbath. So who changed the Bible Sabbath? That's still our begging question. God didn't, Jesus didn't, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If God is perfect, why would he need to change? Does that make any sense? Now, I am very imperfect. There are a lot of things in me that need to change. And hopefully, if you meet me 10 years from now, I'll be a better person, not a worse person, by God's grace, right? But if I were perfect, I wouldn't want to change a thing. And so Jesus Christ is perfect. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So who changed the Bible Sabbath? The disciples did not change it, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, "We ought to obey God rather than men." Acts 5:29. So who did it? Or maybe you'll understand me better if I say now, nah, who done it? Who done it? That's the question we're asking. Again, Revelation. And here's where we get into some heavier things. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Does that look like a beast to you? I hope you don't have bad dreams after tonight. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads, count them, and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now blasphemy occurs when an earthly power or human being assumes the privileges and prerogatives of God. There were times they accused Jesus over and over of this very thing. Blasphemy, right? Because he was claiming to be who? God. And they were saying, you're not God. You're just a regular person. Who do you think you are? This is blasphemy, right? And they wanted to take him to the cliff. So, looking at this again, now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon... Or the devil gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Now, is this a good beast? I'm not so sure. It doesn't sound so good to me. In fact, here in this symbolism, we'll see that we have church and state uniting. We have um, some ideas here that even bring into the fact of 666, and we're going to have to get into that another night. But all of that is there and is being unpacked in some of this symbolism that we have. The battle in the universe between good and evil is a battle over worship, and it centers on God's law, okay? Now, you might be a little confused about that text, but don't worry. We're going to come back to that a little bit. The Sabbath is at the heart of this controversy over worship. So we've said it before. Revelation and Daniel are like hand and glove. They go so well together, and we really need both of them for them to make sense. It's that pivotal book that helps us understand Revelation. In fact, you're gonna see some parallels of what we just read in the book of Daniel. So then the same imagery, the same beasts, and so on, we're gonna see in Daniel. So we're gonna pause with Revelation for a moment, and we're gonna go over here to the book of Daniel, where we see these beasts. And what we just read is really a combination, if you will, of these beasts. So let's start in Daniel chapter seven, where we're gonna look for who, where, and what. Those are questions we want to know about that beast that we just read about. Who is it? Where does it come from or come out of? And what is it? What's the point of of what he wants to do? So Daniel 7, 2 and 3, Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirred up the great sea and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Now keep in mind, we already studied, in fact, if you were here on our very first night, we looked at Daniel chapter 2. Do you remember? Where Daniel interpreted the dream, and there was this image with a head of gold and silver, chest and arms of silver, and then bronze, and then legs of iron, and then clay and iron at the the feet. Do you remember that? And we looked at those four main world empires and then divided Europe. Do you remember that? And that was just kind of a basic outline, if you will. So Daniel chapter 7, verse 2 and 3 And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. And probably most of you could tell me what those kings were, because we went over it already. He didn't talk that way, did he? He was fast, and he was so fast, he conquered the whole world by the time he was in his early 30s. I mean, wow, this is remarkable, isn't it? And then I've already talked about the cheetah, beautiful animal. How about the four heads? Well, you know that Alexander the Great died at a young age, right? I think he was, what, 34, 36, something like that. Not very old. And he had four main generals. And rather than them fight with each other, they decide, hey, let's just be at peace with one another and we'll divide up the kingdom. So you have four heads. Is Bible prophecy accurate? Again, this is remarkable. And so here you have the names of of these leaders. I'm going to let you pronounce them. I know they're not that hard, but I'm a country boy. Daniel chapter 7, continuing on, it says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth, kind of like the legs of iron. Again, it was characterized by iron throughout Rome. I just gave you a hint. I just told you what it was, but you knew that already. Iron everywhere. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten Horns, And so because of Daniel 2, because we've already gone through this library, if you will, we know what the name main next thing is going to be. We know it to be Rome. And of course, this takes us all the way up to the time of Jesus and up to the time of Christ. It was because of a, a law passed in, in that time that Joseph has to go with Mary and find a place. They have to go back to Bethlehem. Remember, that was in the time of Rome. It was uh, Pilate who was the one that basically tried Jesus, if you will. He was a Roman. You have a Roman soldier who's driving the nails through Jesus' hands okay, at the cross. And so the Bible describes the collapse of the Roman Empire and their symbolism of the toes of the image and the horns and the fourth beast. And so here you have how all of Rome was divided up at its fall. And so here you have this beast, and God reveals how apostasy would enter the church at a time when the Roman Empire was being overrun by the barbarian tribes of the north. And it clearly reveals a conflict over worship and precisely how the Sabbath would change. And that's where we're going tonight. Because it's in this last power. All these other powers are interesting. They're nice. It's helpful. But really, all we're doing is proving that the Bible knows who's coming next in the sequence. Yep, proved it again. Yep, proved it again. Yep, proved it again. But now we're getting to this Roman power. We're getting to these horns. We're getting to divided Europe. We're getting to this time frame. And we're really focusing and zeroing in on something that is very important. Does that make sense? It says, I was considering the horns and there were another, there was another horn, a little one coming up among them. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. So we're looking for characteristics now of this little horn power, right? So the little horn in Daniel chapter seven, verse eight, what do we know so far? It arose among the 10 horns. So what are we talking about in terms of area? Are we talking about Africa, Antarctica, South America, Europe, right? Western Europe. Number two, would arise after the ten horns, okay? Number three, eyes like the eyes of a man. We saw that mentioned. In the Bible, a prophet is called a seer. That's really a more direct translation of prophet because they can see things. By God's help, God shows them through a vision, through a dream. He gives them insight into the future. So a prophet in scripture is really a seer because a prophet sees with God's eyes. But this has eyes like a man. So we have a human religious system based on man's teachings. You might think that's a stretch, but I really don't think so. Eyes like a man. And fourth, it is diverse. Daniel seven twenty four. He shall be different from the first ones. You remember that part? How will it be different? Think about the first ones. Who was in charge of Babylon? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. He was in charge. He was the king. He was in command. Who was in charge of the second one? What was the second one again? Medo-Persia. Well, you had some kings over top of that too. The third one. Well, you had Alexander the Great, and then you had his four generals. But this fourth one is going to be a little bit different. Rather than just an all-powerful king, it's going to mix some things together. It's going to mix church and state together, church power and state power in this conglomeration that is called different. Let's see. I would say it's not, probably not primarily a political power, but it's religious, but it is political, but it's religious. So we'll just say it's different. That's it. Or religio-political power. Thank you. So what would this power do? Daniel 7:25, "And he shall speak great words against the most high." who's that? God, he's going to speak great words against God or the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. What could that mean to wear out the saints? Persecution, perhaps? Okay. And think to change, what two things? Times and laws. Now, is this going to be a law of the land? I would suggest—I'm getting ahead of myself now—anytime a new king takes over, they're probably going to change the law of the land. We kind of expect that. Now, we in America, we're not used to being overtaken and laws changing, even though they still change laws even here. But God's law, I would submit to you, is, doesn't need to be changed. It's perfect. It's been for thousands and thousands of years. In fact, I would even submit to you that it's part of his character, and his character has been forever. And so it doesn't need to change. And so I don't think that this beast is thinking to change local times and laws. The grocery stores will now be open at 630. No, I don't think so. If you want to vote now, you have to be 19 and a half. No, I don't think so. I think it's talking about God's law. And if we're talking about God's law, of the Ten Commandments, which law deals with time? Fourth commandment deals with time. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This is interesting. So this power would attempt to change the very law of God. Do you feel comfortable with a power changing God's law? I don't feel comfortable with that. You might. And you're entitled to that opinion. When one nation follows another, it nearly always changes human laws. But this little horn power would speak great words against the Most High by assuming God's prerogative and attempting to change divine laws. Now notice it doesn't say, this isn't the text, but it's a pretty close quote from the text. Notice it doesn't say attempt to change God's laws. It doesn't say it will change God's laws, right? My little kids sometimes attempt to change mom and dad's rules. Let me emphasize the word attempt, right? Typical, yeah. And they can attempt all they want to, but guess who's going to win? That's because they're little kids. Just wait. They'll be teenagers someday. Anyway, pray for me. So it would attempt, cast, and continue on this verse, so it will cast, this little horn power cast truth down to the ground, and he did all this and prospered. You would think he would do all this and not prosper, become this no-name, offshoot, nothing to worry about, little blip on the radar of time. But he does all these things, sows truth to the ground, attempts to change times and laws, persecutes the saints or wears out the saints for a period of time, all of these things, and yet prospers. What's going on here? And how did the change from the Sabbath to Sunday actually occur? Let me ask you this question. If you looked at all of these things, you know, the ten horns come out of Rome. It's after the dividing of, of Europe. You have attempting to change times and laws, has the eyes of a man, but speaks like a dragon. Is that in Revelation? Anyway, has all these various characteristics that we've just looked at. Who do you suppose it is? Is this Mickey Mouse? Donald Duck? Did somebody say the Pope? I didn't say the Pope. Catholic Church? I didn't say the Catholic Church. You said it. I didn't say it. Is it that obvious? I would submit to you it is that obvious. Now, I'm not against the Pope. I think he's a very nice man. He is much more spiritual, if you will, than many that we've had prior. And I know a lot of Roman Catholics that are very nice people, very godly people. So we're not talking about him specifically, and we're not talking about Roman Catholic, or, or, or yeah Roman Catholics specifically. We're simply talking about this power. Okay, now, I know sometimes it can be hard to separate the two, but I'm I'm going to ask you to do that because I don't want to denigrate any individual or person, but I do think there are businesses, organizations, uh, religious institutions that are corrupt. That doesn't mean everybody that works at that business is corrupt or bad or terrible. And if you work at one of the local banks and the bank is shown as, as absconding money or doing all these terrible, horrible things and you're a teller at the bank, that doesn't mean you're in on it. I mean if you are, you're probably gonna be tried and you'll probably go to prison. But it doesn't mean that you are just because you work for the company, you could be vastly disappointed when you go work for something else somebody else. Alright, so how did the change from Sabbath to Sunday actually occur? <clears throat> the Bible encyclopedia, page five sixty one says this, Sabbath, a Hebrew word signifying rest, and then later says, Sunday was a name given by the heathens to the first day of the week because it was the day on which they worshiped the sun. You've heard that before, right? In fact, all of the days of the week are named after celestial bodies and gods and various things. And so Sunday was named for those that worshiped the sun god. And in fact, you go all the way back through various cultures in Egypt and Babylon and Persia and Rome, you had individuals, and large groups of people, really. In fact, most all of these pagan cultures, they didn't worship the true God. They worshiped false gods and pagan gods and all the rest. And it wasn't just one, but it was many. But most, if not all of them, recognized the sun god. And they had different names for it. But the sun god is supreme. You stop and think about that. It's powerful. What do we do without it? It makes everything grow, you know, and, and on and on. And so the sun was known throughout cultures and we have all kinds of things depicting people worshiping the sun and so forth and so we continue on here in the fourth century the roman emperor constantine was so influenced by sun worship and he wanted to unite his empire how come why did he want to unite his empire well he had some issues there there were jewish revolts you had christians and jews worshiping on the same sabbath and there was a sect in between the two of them. So you had that rivalry. You had Sunday regarded as sacred by the pagans. So you had that rivalry. So all these people are all split up. How could Constantine unite his empire? And so in a stroke of genius, from a political perspective, he then signs something that says, okay, we're all going to come together and worship on one day, a common day of worship, and that's going to be... Sunday. Now, this isn't just a, you know, a marked line and everything, boom, changes, but this is a significant point in the process, right? There's going to be other points along the way, but this is a, a, certainly a mile marker to pay attention to. So we read here, "...on the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and people residing in cities rest, and let all the shops be closed." And so it was a process where they're closing shops and various things, but then it got a little bit more intense. In fact, even money from that time period, AD 306, 337, here we have Constantine on one side of the coin, and on the other side of the coin, we have the sun god. That's how united those two were, that it was on all the money. And so in the days of Constantine, you have church and state uniting, You know, you have the church wanting to do its own religious convictions and what it wants to do, and you have the state over here saying, no, we're going to do Sunday, we're all going to do Sunday, we're all going to come together and we're going to enforce it. How can you do that? Well, we're the state, so we can do that. And so you have this coming together in a rather unique way with Constantine. Catholic World, page 809, this is March 1994, the sun was a foremost god with heathendom. There is, in truth, something royal, kingly about the sun, making it a fit emblem of Jesus' the son of justice. Do you kind of see this melding between the two? Yeah. I mean, the son is powerful and it's all these incredible things. And so is Jesus. And so we'll bring them together. And it's, it's a good match. This quote says, hence the church in these countries would seem to have said, keep that old pagan name. It shall remain consecrated and sanctified. Interesting. And thus the pagan Sunday dedicated to Baldur became the Christian Sunday sacred to Jesus. Again, this coming together. Now, we have to go to some of these outside sources. Uh, I heard one preacher talking about this, and the question was asked. You know, they were going back and forth in their Bibles, and, and he would just constantly be looking up, looking up. He had a little trick. He'd put small rubber bands in his Bible, so it would always fall open to the next text he was trying to go to. He knew about where it was. So if you all ever want to do that, just put rubber bands in your Bible. But he was going through his Bible very quickly, and then it got, got to the question of, well, how has it changed? And he had, his, his Bible did better than mine, I think. Well, he hit? shut it really quick, and it just made a... He said, well, we have to close the scripture for that. There's not much about it. And it's true. There's some of this prophecy that gives us some insight to it. But in terms of the actual change, there's nothing in here that tells us to make that change. And I think that's significant, don't you? Because if this is going to be our only rule of faith and practice, but then wait a minute, it's not going to be just this. It's going to be this and something else. Hmm... Well, what else are we going to add? And what else is that going to look like? And how are we going to base that? You know, we can look to this and look at prophecy and say, okay, this book knows what it's talking about. This is the Word of God. But something else, how do I test that? So it gets a little bit scary. So you have the first day of the week <coughs> highlighted. The Council of Laodicea, AD 325. It says, Christians shall not Judaize and be idle on Saturday. Here's now where they're starting to come down harder, right? You can't be idle on Saturday or Sabbath, if you will. You've got to go to work. Well, I want to keep my Sabbath. It's the Bible Sabbath. You know, it's my conviction. Too bad. You can't be idle. It's against the law. Take him away. Wow. Christians shall not be, shall not Judaize and be idle on Saturday. Also trying to, to put together this idea that those that keep the Sabbath must be Jews, right? Even though this existed long before there was a Jewish race. There was just Adam and Eve. It was just humanity. We looked at that the other day. But the Lord's day they shall especially honor. And they're getting this mixed up, too, because the Lord's day we already saw was Sabbath, the seventh day. But they're referring to this now as which day? Sunday. But the Lord's day they shall especially honor. And as being Christians shall, if possible, do not work on that day. If, however, they are found Judaizing, working on the Sabbath, they shall be shut out from Christ. Hmm. People were really had some major decisions to make, didn't they? So the change of the Sabbath took place gradually, but more and more, it had teeth. Daniel 7, 25, it will think to change times and laws. Interesting. In the converts uh, catechism of the Catholic doctrine, we have this Q&A, and you can still pick one of these up at Amazon. You can find this question, which is the Sabbath day? Good question, says this book. We're so glad you asked. Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath. Ding, 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 ding. You are correct. Next question. Why do we observe Sunday instead of Sabbath? Well, because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Oh, okay. What else did the Catholic Church transfer or change? Interesting. Okay that's what you say? This is the Catholic Encyclopedia. Volume 4, page 153. The church, after changing the day of rest from the Jewish Sabbath of the seventh day of the week to the first, made the third commandment refer to Sunday as the day to be kept holy as the Lord's day. So in their own Bible, they changed the Ten Commandments around. And this is no secret to anybody. You can pick up any Catholic Bible and you can go and find the Ten Commandments and you'll find what they've done is they've taken out the second commandment. Which one does that talk about? Idol worship and not making any images and that kind of thing. We've got to get rid of that. That's going to be a problem. And then how do they make up for the others? Well, you have the third shifts up to become the second. The fourth shifts up. The, all of them shift up. And then the very last, the tenth, we're just going to divide it into two and it's like nothing ever happened. Attempt to change times, and laws. Catholicism and fundamentalism. Here, Carl Keating in this book says, fundamentalists meet for worship on Sunday, yet there is no evidence in the Bible that corporate worship was to be made on Sundays. The Jewish Sabbath or day of rest was, of course, Saturday. It was the Catholic Church that decided Sunday should be the day of worship for Christians in honor of the resurrection. They're not ashamed of this. This isn't news to them. They, they publish this in their works. In fact, this is really something that they brag about pretty openly because all of these Protestant churches, what does it mean to be a Protestant church? Protesting the Catholic Church for various things that they're doing that they feel like are not biblical, right? But the Catholic Church comes along even now and they'll say, well, that's all fine and dandy. You go ahead and do your little protest over there. But... You have to recognize the fact that the seventh day, biblically, is the Sabbath, but you as Protestants still come under the mother church, right, by worshiping on Sunday, something in which there's no biblical evidence other than the fact that we changed it. How do we change it? Because we have the power to change it. And you are proving every time you go to church on Sunday that we as a Catholic church had the power to do it. They're not hiding anything. They're proud of it. You try changing something like that and get the whole world to do it. Pfft, good luck. Well, we can. Interesting. Does the church have the authority to change God's law? That's a very fundamental question that each of us need to ask. The Bible talks about returning a faithful tithe of 10%. But you know, I, I, uh, I had a dream last night and everybody that comes to my church, they need to now return a 20 percent tithe. And then next year, I might have another dream. they will be 30% tithe because I'm going to have kids. They're going to be in college. You get the idea. So y'all are going to get out your checkbooks, right? And because I changed the solemnity from 10% to 30%, you're going to do it, right? How you'd have a problem with that? Yeah, yeah. So the faith of our fathers, this is another book by James Gibbons, and he writes this, you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. They just put it out there very plainly. We've looked from the front to the back. It's not there, right? The scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday. And so the choice is, are you going to follow the Bible as your guide, or are you going to follow tradition as your guide? Again, a question that we all need to ask. Now, I realize this This is pretty heavy stuff. I realize that. I get that. And this isn't a decision to just make on the spur of the moment. You know, you don't want to be erratic about it or, or uh, quick about it. You really want to study this out. So please don't take my word for it, okay? Do your own research. Do your own study. Look up these verses in the Bible. Uh, get a concordance and go through and look at all the times that Sabbath is mentioned or first day of the week is mentioned or any of these things, do your own study and ask the Lord, reveal your truth to me over a period of time. Convict me if this is from you. If not, I don't want anything to do with it. Isn't that how we're supposed to do Bible study? Yeah. So don't take my word for it. What do I know? I'm just a young'un that has his pants need to be ironed. OK. Psalm eighty-nine thirty-four says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. God's the same. Today, yesterday, and forever. Toronto Daily Star, this was back in 1949, but this was a big thing in 49. Reverend Philip Carrington, an Anglican Archbishop of Quebec, sent local clergymen into a huddle today by saying outright, there was nothing to support Sunday being kept holy. That was in the Toronto Daily. Carrington definitely told a church meeting in this city of straight-laced Protestantism that tradition, not the Bible, made Sunday the day of worship. This was a front line, you know, headline uh, in Toronto that day. What, what, what? Who is your master? That's the question. Church leaders or Jesus? What is the foundation of your faith? The Bible or what a man says? Canon Tradition 263 says, The authority of the church could therefore not be bound to the authority of the scriptures because the church had changed the Sabbath to Sunday, not by command of Christ, but by its own don't miss it, by its own authority. Kind of like God uses prophecy to prove his book. They're using the fact that everybody is following them to prove that, hey, we have authority. Don't mess with our authority. So the church or God's will or God's word, what is the basis of authority in spiritual matters? It's a very foundational question, isn't it? It is. It really is. And so we see God's law and the Sabbath from creation. We see him giving it to Moses. We see Jesus honoring it. We see the apostles honoring it. All the way through scripture. Ezekiel twenty twelve. Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between them and me. And read the rest of it. Read it in its context. It doesn't just say, for a little while, until I raise from the dead, and then we'll worship on Sunday. If my Bible read that way, I'd worship on Sunday. If it said, and then we'll worship on Wednesday, I'd worship on Wednesday. If it said, But it doesn't say any of those things anywhere in scripture. So really, as far as I'm concerned, it has nothing to do with who's right and who's wrong. It has to do with what does God's word have to say? That's, that's the bottom line for me. Not on just this topic, but, but all topics, right? Revelation 14, 12, here is the patience of the saints. Does it take patience when people... Badger you about stuff. They think that you're very wrong. They're constantly bugging you and, and taunting you and all these kinds. Does it take patience? It does. But here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So here we have again Eve in the Garden of Eden. Here we have Jesus showing them around. Only the seventh day, you remember, did he bless. Did he sanctify? Did he rest? didn't do it the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, or sixth day. Only the seventh day. And he says, this will be my sign for you. So this is the choice, Bible or tradition, Jesus or religious leaders, God's law or man's dogmas, God's instruction or human teaching, God's way or man's way. Dear Heavenly Father, it's rather amazing that something that you instituted at the beginning of time as this human race knew it. and carried all the way through with your people and that you continued to honor while you were here, how that has somehow just been erased. And we say somehow, I believe that the devil has been behind it. And he's been patient and he's been working for hundreds of years to bring it about the way he wants it. But Lord, you haven't changed. And perhaps as you look down to time, you saw that people would forget the fourth commandment and you place that little marker, that word that says remember in front of it. And the Sabbath is to be a sign that you are our creator. You're our God. You're our redeemer. And so, Lord, I pray that we will be convicted to honor all of your commandments as we have seen tonight and to have the courage to follow you. Lord, there may be some still on the fence, and and that's okay. I just encourage them to keep coming and pray that if this is your leading, that the picture will only become clearer. And if this is a false teaching, that you'll make this abundantly plain as well but we want to do your will we want to be your people that follow your book, how you ask us to in your name we pray Amen This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org